Welcome to Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. As always, I'll be your host, Lee Greenwood. On this week's episode, we're going to be having a chat with Mike Knight, who's based over in uh, the USA, Uh, been a friend of mine for quite a few years now, and I thought I'd bring him in for a bit of a chat about all things rope access that he's done where it's taken him and what's happened. So Mike is a IRATA assessor. He's recently become a IRATA auditor as well. So he's been involved in the IRATA system for quite a while and working throughout Canada and North America and other places. But I'll let him tell you more about that. So let's get straight into it. So Mike, welcome to uh, welcome to the episode. Hello, Lee. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate being here. No worries, buddy. Um, just uh, for the... Uh, the guys that are listening in, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into rope access, how you ended up here. Sure. Um, so I was in the, uh, I'm from Canada originally, um, an island on the east coast called Newfoundland. Uh, I was serving in the military. Uh, I got out of the military in 97 and uh, was looking for something to do. And I, so I was going to school and uh, took some part-time work as a scuba instructor at the local scuba shop. And uh, then the, uh, the guy who owned the scoop shop told him that his dad needed to get some rock bolts drilled into a cliff down uh, down near the harbor. And uh, it, the, the guy who owned the scuba shop knew that I had repelled out of helicopters and whatnot. And he asked me if we could come down and rappel off the cliff and drill these rock anchors in. And we said, well, let's give it a try. And there was a couple other guys there with us. And we got some rope and kind of made up some techniques and, and got out there. And uh, about a year later, uh, guy by the name of uh, Peter White, another old timer in the industry, uh, walked into the shop and uh, informed us that uh, there was this thing called IRATA out there. And uh, that's when uh, Peter got us trained and uh, got into the offshore and uh, been working in rope access uh, pretty steady ever since. Wow, so that's uh, sort of taking you from uh, from Canada. How did you uh, How did you end up down in the States? So back in uh, 2008 or 2009, um, a company I worked for in Canada uh, had put me down in uh, Trinidad and Tobago for a little while to try to drum up some business there. Um, and then uh, at that point, uh, they got acquired by a large, a larger company in the U.S. And that's when they they wanted to move some of the rope access uh, guys from the from Canada to the U.S. And they they made me uh, an offer to go to go to Houston, move to Houston, and uh, uh, brought the wife and uh, been been working in the U.S. now for about ten years. Well, that's uh, that's a bit of a career tra- traveling around to uh, getting over to Trinidad must have been pretty amazing. Um, not sort of a place that you think of uh, first off when you're thinking of rope access. Uh, Houston, yeah. more of the type of place. What was uh, what was yeah. it like in Trinidad? Uh, beautiful weather, you know, uh, beaches. Uh, found my uh, lovely wife down there, and. Uh, she came back with me. Um, Trinidad's a, a big oil and gas country, you know. Uh, so there's, uh, there's there's a little bit of rope access going on down there, enough to uh, enough to get us down there to try to get things going. And did it did it work out? Did uh, is it expanded down there, or since you were first down there in '08? Uh, yeah. So when I, I once the merger happened, they wanted me back in the U.S. Uh, but the uh, the company that we were working with down there has continued on and. Uh, and there's uh, president of the industry has grown in, in Trinidad. There's some there's some more level threes down there now, and uh, I think at least one or two 
uh, operating companies and there might be some training going on down there as well. Well, that's pretty cool. Must be uh, pretty nice to see that you uh, help start something that's expanded in a in a small part of the world. Yeah, it's a nice place, yeah. Excellent, excellent. And then you were up into Houston. Um, how did you go from Houston to uh, to end up where you are today? Uh, so from Houston, uh, we moved. Uh, we I worked there for a while, one part of the company, and then uh, we opened up another office in uh, Chicago. So they asked me if I could uh, come to that office for a while. I went up went up there in 2011. I spent four years in Chicago, uh, getting things going up there. Um, uh, mostly in the uh, power generation industry there, not so much in the, in the offshore that I was used to, uh, and some refineries. Uh, and then uh, after about four years there, um, I was asked if I would uh, come down to the, south, uh, the southeast region, uh, Augusta, Georgia, uh, border of South Carolina kind of area. And uh, down here, we're, uh, we've been focusing a little bit more on uh, pulp and paper industry and uh and still uh with the uh power gen as well so and uh, that's where i've been ever since wow so you've sort of moved from the uh the dirty old energy into the new stuff sounds uh sounds like quite a nice journey over that yeah. sort of 20 years yeah. right uh, i'm just gonna uh move on to this next the big question i want to ask you um because i'm really interested in hearing what's the best job that people have done so i'll come straight out with a question mike uh Tell us about the best job you've ever worked on and why it was the best job you've ever worked on. So, yeah, that's a big question, right? Um, and how, yeah, for sure. you know, I was thinking about that and how do, how do we gauge uh, what makes a what makes a great job, right? Or what makes a job the best? Um, I think, you know, some of the obvious ones like uh, safe, a safe, successful, on-time uh, completion of the scope within budget, right? That's, uh, everybody's happy about that. Client satisfaction, uh, it's always good, even if you don't have all of those other factors in there every time, uh, client satisfied. Um, and, you know, some, sometimes camaraderie, just being with being with the right guys, uh, with the right scope of work, um, and just going on, you don't, you almost forget the, the end, that the end of the job is coming, you know, you're, you're happy to stay there for, for as long as it takes, right? Um, so for me, there's, there's been a few jobs that, uh, for different reasons. Um, the first one I, that I ever supervised where I, I got my level three supervisors, uh, or my level three done. And I was, I was assigned to supervise a, a geotechnical job, which, uh, which I love doing geo work. It's outdoors, uh, fresh air all the time. Uh, not worried about hazardous environments and, uh, chemicals and things like that. Uh, so I quite like that work. Uh, but the, that particular job was my first time as a supervisor. Uh, I was very stressed out <laughs> uh, to, the, to the point where uh, I was probably literally pulling my hair out. And I actually had uh, my mentor on the job for, with me then, the level three who I uh, trained under coming up to get my threes, uh, named Dan Thornton. And I remember Dan uh, just sitting there smiling one day with a coffee in his hand and just uh, couldn't be happier. And I was like, what are you smiling about? And he's like, Oh, this is the best job ever. So I don't have to worry about anything. You got all the, you got it all on your shoulders over there. You're taking care of everything. This is great. I love it here. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. uh, yeah. but, uh, to me, there, um, so that job kind of, it opened my eyes to, uh, uh, the, when you step up to become a supervisor, 
the, the extra work you got to do and the extra responsibility that's involved in that role um, that you might not think of when when you're uh, when you're a level one or level two on a job and uh, you don't see what the what the level three is always dealing with when it comes to the client and things like that, right? External other pressures that he's under. Oh, definitely uh, for sure. The uh, the level ones are there thinking the level three is not doing anything because they seem to be doing all the work. Yeah, we, I think we've all been in that situation. Yeah, and that and that actually goes again uh, to the next step when you become a manager. Uh, and I even uh, at one point um, called when I when I first became a manager and I was started managing World Bank access jobs. I called my first one of my first managers and, and apologized to him. I didn't call him. I said we were having a beer at a, at a company function, and I, <laughs> so I got to apologize to you for being such a such a hard ass supervisor. You know, uh, complaining back to the office uh, about this or that. Uh, because every every time you move up, uh, the work gets harder, right? It really does. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, uh, another job that I was uh, was thinking about was uh, uh, in Chesapeake Bay in uh, Virginia. Uh, it was a lighthouse uh, out there in uh, called the Chesapeake Light Tower. It's built on a, a basically a, a Texas uh, Texas kind of oil rig that they put out there and just put a lighthouse on top of it years ago, but. Uh, it all got automated and uh, nobody goes out there anymore so the whole thing's rusting into the sea and uh, the Department of Energy wants to put a, a 300 foot mast on top of it to uh, measure the wind out there for a couple of years to see if a, a, an offshore uh, wind uh, wind field is going to be viable so we had to go out and inspect the uh, the legs of the rig to make sure it was it was fit to uh, to, to handle this 300 foot mast and uh, that job was great because we had, just had a great crew and uh, the weather was beautiful. The sun was shining every day. Uh, we were out on the sea. We had a, a luxury helicopter pick us up every morning, fly us out, and he waited for us on the heli deck until we were done, fly us back in, uh, have a little picnic on the heli deck for lunch, and, and head home at the end of the day, watch the sunset. That kind of, so uh, that job always uh, sticks out in my mind as one of the, one of the nicest ones I've been on. Like a but, uh, secure job, but um, without having to stay out there, get to go back to the beach every day. Sounds awesome. Right? Yeah. Well, they wouldn't let us stay there because uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't fit for human habitation. Right? We've been yep. out there so long and falling apart. Um, but uh, the one job that I would that I that I learned a lot from uh, was a, a job I did in uh, Alaska one year. It was two thousand and eight. And the scope of the work was to uh, hang radioactive sensors on the outside of a produced water tank. Uh, I think it was 177 center sensors we had to place. Uh, and what they were gonna do then was in inject a, a radioactive dye that bonded to the water. And then they could see where the water was flowing inside. One that bonded to the oil and they could see where the oil was going. One that bonded to the sand whatnot, something like that. Uh, so they could get a flow pattern inside the, this uh, live vessel and uh so we were getting ready showed up uh the, the company actually put uh all level threes on this job all senior guys with a lot of experience because there was a lot of pressure on this job to get this to get this right for the client it was our first time in this part of the uh in this part of the area and uh we really had to do a good job and my friend mike doris uh was the uh assigned as a supervisor for this job so as we were getting ready we were surveying the area, taking a look, doing risk assessment, 
And Mike noticed that the, there was a PSV on top of the tank and there was a vent over to the side, maybe about 20, 30 feet away. And uh, the, the vent had uh, H2S coming out of it, that was known. And uh, the PSV, which was another hazard right on top of the tank, um, we, we identified that and uh, asked the client about it. And they said, oh, don't, don't worry, it's, uh, that'll never go off. It hasn't gone off in two years. And we're never we're going to take extra precautions so it doesn't go off while you guys are up there. And uh, to Mike's credit, uh, Mike said, uh, "Well, we're not going to go up there until we get supplied there." So uh, client didn't like that at first because uh, it took us about three days to get the supplied air equipment organized. Uh, but Mike stood his ground and uh, said, "We're not we're not going on that vessel until until our guys all our guys have supplied air." So we waited, and uh, the supplied air showed up. Uh, myself and uh, Kyle Williams, uh, otherwise known as Cowboy, uh, we got our permit. We got our got our, all our safety paperwork done and our, and our talks, and we we made our way up onto the tank to uh, begin rigging up some ropes. And we're only there just a couple minutes, just enough time to get a, a one or two sets of ropes tied in. And uh, I just noticed uh, out of the corner of my eye a little whiff of white smoke coming out of the PSV, and uh, so I just. I kind of reach over and I, I tap Cowboy on the, on the shoulders like, hey man, uh, check this out. And uh, as he looked over, the whole thing released and uh, we were engulfed in a in a cloud of smoke that we couldn't see through, white, white, toxic gas. And uh, so at that point, uh, we kind of just instinctively, we both grabbed each other by the harness and uh, pulled our face masks into, into each other where we could get a little visibility. It was like, let's get, let's get down out of here, yeah? Yep, let's go. And uh, the meters that we had with us were uh, dinging through the roof, you know, ding, ding, ding. So uh, down we went, we descended down to the ground. And uh, uh, yeah, the meters were, were through the roof on all levels. It was, uh, it was a, it would have knocked us dead if we hadn't had that, uh, that safety gear on. So uh, not only do I, I, you know, I thank, uh, thank Mike Doris for every, every day that I live and breathe, but uh, it just, it just, taught me that, uh, you know, never take anything for granted, right? Uh, when that operator tells you, don't worry about it, it's fine. Uh, it might not be, right? And you gotta, you gotta take the right precautions, even if it means uh, upsetting a client uh, and doing, doing the job safely with, with the right equipment. Yeah, definitely for sure. You know, uh, if they tell you that something's isolated, go and actually see it yourself to make sure it is isolated. Um, you know, don't just believe that the the client has done what they said they've done. So uh, I've got I've got a I've got a couple of crazy questions for you about that particular job. So why is Carl called Cowboy? Being a man from not from America, <laughs> I need to know this. Uh, that I don't know, but uh, maybe I can line you up with an interview with him next. Wicked. Uh, that definitely needs to be somebody we need to pull in. Yeah, need to get a guy yeah. called Cowboy on the pod- podcast. I he's, hope it's for all the good to- reasons and not for the bad reasons. That's all I'd like to say. <laughs> He's still active out uh, out west in Canada too. Okay. So I'm uh, not long ago actually. Yeah. Nice. Fantastic. Um, and so it sounds like those three jobs you've just talked about. You know, you've um, you were there um, playing around on a on a lighthouse on an oil platform. You're then up in Alaska. Um, you were doing a geo job. I love the way that you said uh, you like the geo work because there's not many. Uh, you're not having to deal with the hazards and things like that. Geo work actually scares me more than most stuff that I've done just because it's so unpredictable with uh, where you can be working. So it's always interesting 
how different technicians have worked in different environments and what they are concerned about more. You know, you're more concerned right. about the hazards on a on a heavy industry site, whereas I'm there going, that rock might fall off. So yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. see where people's um, sort of sit from. That's uh, that's awesome to hear about sort of where you come from and and where it's taken you. And now um, I think you're uh, officially stuck. I won't say in an office. I think you're officially stuck on an aeroplane now, aren't you? Flying all over the US, uh, shaking hands and making things happen for the company. Is that pretty much where you're at now? Yeah, that's that's pretty much with the exception of the last two weeks, anyway. But. <laughs> Yeah, I've been, that's 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 my job now is uh, uh, client presentations, uh, talking about rope access. I, I still get lucky and get on a job once in a while. Uh, uh, I did a job in a paper mill uh, just after Christmas. I think it was in January. I, I got out and actually got in the harness and got to work. So uh, how was that? Was that good? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, you know, you gotta yeah. get the you gotta get get a couple hours in there every six months, right? That's it. Oh, getting out there and there's. You know, from those three jobs you talked about, it seemed that the thing that made uh, all of those jobs were the guys you were working with. Um, you know, you obviously remember them name by name of the people who were who were there with you. Um, I think that's a big part yeah. of growth access and what make what can make a good job. You know, the crews that you get to work with. Definitely. And uh, just on the reference that Mike just made for the uh, the guys listening, uh, we're recording this. I'm actually in. Uh, 14 days self-isolation because of travel, uh, because of the coronavirus. Um, and Mike's in the US, and they've got um, uh, they've got some self-isolation going on over there. So that's where we're sitting at the moment. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward. Both of us get on planes a lot. Um, Australia's going into um, into no international flights. They've recently. Uh, mentioned that uh, no non-residents uh, coming into the country so we're in a bit of a holding pattern for a lot of us so that's why I'm trying to push out quite a lot of um, podcasts and see uh, you know get some people involved who are sitting around maybe twiddling their thumbs a little bit I've got a uh, last question for you there Mike um, if we could get the uh, the time machine that we'd all love to have um, and you could go back in time and speak to yourself back in the, uh, sort of 1997, 1998, when you first started swinging off of uh, ropes for getting paid for it. Um, what what one piece of advice would you give yourself if you could go back and have a chat? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think uh, I think I said yes a little too often back in back in the early days. Maybe I could. Uh, could have turned down one or two little jobs here. Maybe spend a little bit more time at home. I think. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. I know. Uh, I know a lot of guys. I'm I'm definitely guilty of it. Uh, opportunities present themselves. Uh, can you go and do this? Can you go and do that? So yeah, saying yes can help. Can be uh, can be good for the bank balance, but spending that time with uh, friends and family is definitely something we need to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, uh, I'm sure you. Uh, You've said yes to a few things, and then two weeks later, you look at your calendar, and you're there going, "I haven't got a spare day between now and Christmas," type thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for hooking up with me. Um, it's been a real great chatting to you, and uh, we'll definitely catch up. Uh, for those people who aren't aware of Mike, Mike is a Irata assessor, and he's recently become a Irata auditor as well. So he's quite active in the Irata world as well as 
holding his full-time role. So um, I'm sure we'll uh, get him back in for another chat and uh, maybe about some of the stuff he's done with uh, with the assessing and the training and the auditing. So, uh, I'd be happy to, Lee. Excellent. That'll be great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for phoning in. Um, and it's uh, great to chat to you. You too, Lee. We'll see you soon. You stay Cheers. safe, mate. Well, that was awesome. Thanks again to Mike for uh, giving us his time today to have a chat with him, uh, where he's been, what he's done, and all of those things. This is a uh, avenue we're going to head down, guys, interviewing a few people that are out there in the rope access industry. Uh, most probably drop an episode with uh, some information similar to the tax podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, and then bringing in an interview. Um, if that's something you're keen on, let us know. You'll find us on Facebook. As always, rope access, tips, tricks and chats. Love to hear what you'd uh, like to see out there, what people are interested in. If there's anybody you think we should try and drag in here to have a chat with, please let us know. We're reaching out to a lot of my uh, lot of my connections in the rope access industry and hopefully going to get some real cool people on here for a, a bit of a chit-chat, which will be amazing. So anyway... Uh, like us on Facebook please subscribe Uh, seeing you guys coming in here making sure we're doing the right thing obviously I'm sitting in a room all by myself talking to myself on a lot of these so your feedback is really appreciated we have uh, dropped another episode this week as well Uh, this is a real call for action guys please go and have a listen it's uh, it's asking your opinion on the IRATA level 1 level 2 and level 3 syllabus what's in it what you think should be added to the various levels what you think should be taken out. Go and have a listen to that one as well because we'll be doing a couple of episodes on that. So for now, stay safe. I'll see you soon. Cheers.